So tonight's title is Resetting the Role of the Husband. Next month, we're going to be focusing in on resetting the role of the wife. Did I hear a hallelujah there? (laughs) When looking at the role of the husband and the wife, when we look at this in premarital, there's a reason why we like to start with the husband. We strongly believe that the role of the husband is essential in making the husband-wife relationship work. And when you look to the Word of God, you see that God puts the primary responsibility for having a godly husband, or excuse me, for having a godly biblical family on the man. You see that in Scripture. And it made me wonder when I think about that, and I was putting this together, um, makes you wonder why husbands and men, fathers, are under great attack in American culture. Yeah. Quite often, for instance, like in the media, you look, you see fathers and husbands portrayed as, you know, a bumbling fool many times. It's, it's rare to find a, a good movie, for instance, that portrays a good role of a father these days. One of the greatest problems in American lifestyle is the feminization of men. And you, it just made me, you know, you see the effort by many to make also men like women nowadays. We went to eat at a Buca de Pepo by my house one day, and the person who checks you in for your reservation, I couldn't tell if it was a guy or a girl. You know, and, and I don't say this laughingly, I was just like, Okay, where are you? You know, he was in transition there and he's changing. And it's pretty crazy. Um, And I believe this is an attack by Satan against manhood, against husbands, against fathers. And even though God calls a wife to fulfill her role regardless of her husband... It is the husband who sets the atmosphere as the head of the home for a wife to fulfill her role, to submit or not to submit. We strongly believe that. I know if I come home and I'm weird in the house, I set the whole atmosphere in my house to be, everyone looks to me as the head of the home that way. And it's a great responsibility for men. You know, we get to be the head of the home. We get to be the one to control the remote control. But there's a great responsibility that comes with that. As married men, we are responsible to the Lord for our marriage. And one day we're going to have to give an account to the Lord for our marriage. So tonight we are going to look at resetting the role of the husband. Let's begin by turning to Ephesians 5. I'm going to uh, 
We're going to read uh, Ephesians 5, 25 to 33 to set the stage for where we're going to go tonight in this. So Ephesians 5, 25 to 33. Ephesians 5, 25 says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. That he might present her to himself a glorious church, having spot, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. Excuse me, <laughs> she should be homely and without blemish. Verse 28, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless... Let each one of you, in particular, so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And as I was reading this this morning, going over it one more time, you know, we we, we know this passage so well. We've read it. We've read books with it, and and we hear it all the time. But I, I thought about I was thinking about when Paul penned this to the church in Ephesus and when they first read this. Can you imagine what they must have thought? I was thinking about that. I'm going, man, when these guys wrote, read this and they heard, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. What that, what, how that must have impacted them. And three times in, the, in, this, in these verses, Paul tells the husbands to love his wife. Verse 25, verse 28, and verse 33. Notice in verse 25, Paul says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. How does Christ love the church? He loves the church with a sacrificial love. He loves the church with that incredible display of love that was displayed on the cross. Jesus loves his church with every beat of his heart. He took a chance on us while we, when we really didn't deserve it and even when we were rebellious. Romans 5a tells us, but God demonstrates his own love toward us In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Just as Jesus' love for his bride and the church was costly, in a similar way, the love by a believing husband, that call there's a call to a husband for a sacrificial kind of love. That's what he calls us to. It's not trying to buy our love for our wife by giving them things. Although I'm sure they like those things. 
But it's not like that. It's not bartering with our wife for their love. In other words, you do this and I'll love you. That's not what it's about. It's not a conditional love. I will love you if you do this or that. No, it is a sacrificial love. It is to be daily displayed. It is to be a, a proof a show, uh, that you, you're, you're showing God's sacrificial agape love. And the point is that God put his love into action. He demonstrated his love and he calls born-again Christian husbands to do the same. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. This is a tall order, guys. It is a tall order for a believing husband. But realize this. God would not command us to fulfill this if he was not able to accomplish it in our lives. But this is where a husband needs a strong dose of that love. God's love, his agape love. Romans 5, 5 tells us that hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The love God calls us to display to our wives, we don't possess naturally. It's not something that just comes automatically. This is where we need God's Holy Spirit working in us in order to love as God wants us to love. But this verse that I just read, Romans 5, 5, says that it's there. Because the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. We need God's Holy Spirit working in us in order to love this way. God's divine love from above is enabled in a husband who is spirit-filled, who is wearing the clothing of the new man, as Colossians 3 tells us. Paul in Colossians 3 said, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. And then Colossians 3 gives us the character of the new man. Paul sums up all that we are to put on in our walk by saying, But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Colossians 3.14 So a, a Christian husband is to put on God's Love, God's agape love. This is what will help us to love our wives, to die to self. That's what it takes, you guys, that daily dying to self, to show a display of that love toward our wives. Think about this. As believers, when we fail to love as Christ, we have no excuse because the power to live differently, Romans 5.5, 5, the power to live differently now resides in us if we call ourselves believers. 
And it is there for us if we are willing to yield to that power of the Holy Spirit. And when it comes to loving as Christ loves the church, we also, and this will help us, guys, we also need a strong realization of what Jesus did for us. As verse 25 goes on to say, notice it says, He gave Himself for her, the church. God sent His Son to die for every one of us. Look at the word gave there. In verse 25, uh, the word gave, it has the idea to give over from one's hand to someone or something with particular reference to their right or authority. It describes the handing over of an individual to an enemy who will presumably take undue advantage of the victim, as was the case in the arrest and trial that followed our our Lord uh, being given over. So Jesus' sacrificial life for our life, he gave and he calls us as husbands to do that. And it cannot be emphasized enough. We need that realization in our lives of what he did for us. Romans 4.25 says, Who has delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Ephesians 5, 2 says, And walk in love as Christ also loved us and, and, and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. And in Titus two fourteen says, Who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. So it was on the cross that our Lord gave himself for his bride. He gave himself for his church, the the ecclesia, which is the, the word for church, the Greek word, which, by the way, that word is in the feminine. And what an analogy to ponder and to draw application in our roles as husbands. We need that strong realization of what Christ did for us. And then I can see my wife. I can When I really see that, and I go, wait a minute. God forgave me. He died for me. He forgives me every day. Don't I need to do that for my wife? Why do I hold her to a different standard? Why, do I, can't, why don't I do that? We are called to do that. When you have that embedded in your mindset, when you have that in your spirit, you're going to be able to look at her differently. Verse 25 commands Christian husbands to love our wives in this way. It has to be put into action. It's a call to die to self. It's more than just sending your wife flowers. Although for some guys that might be a big step. It's more than just telling her, love you, when you're running out the door. God's love has to be put into action. 1 John 3, 16 and 18 says, We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and that we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed, that's action, and truth. In deed and in truth. 
Putting God's love into action, it's a major aspect of the born-again experience. It's proof, you guys, that we are born again when we put God's love into action. It, it shows that you're born again. I know when in my life, when even in my marriage, and when I do something that I know I wouldn't normally do in my flesh, and I, lo- and I realize, I go, whoa, thank you, Lord, because you're working in me <laughs> right now. And, and there's nothing like that to realize that. I'm born again. God took over here. It's, it's only by his grace and his might and his power that I did this. And there's nothing like that. And all glory to God. Also, in loving our wives as Christ loved the church, we need to be aware that the Lord loves us with no reservation. He loves us with no holding back. And he calls us as husbands to do the same. I truly believe he wants us to let go and totally trust him and totally love our wives with no reservation. I believe he called us as men into marriage and Christian men into, this, into our Christian marriage to do that. I truly believe he wants to purge us of our selfishness and our pride. And he wants us to be far different than from the world than the world is. When I'm in premarital and I'm sitting there and I'm talking to the potential husband, I, I like sharing with him that in the world, in the dating scene, guys many times want to be in control of the relationship. You see that out there in the world. And many times, men, guys, they take advantage of women's emotions. And I've seen that out there. And the reason is that many times, men in this whole dating culture and what goes on out there, um, they want to be in control of the relationship. They want to retain power in the relationship. And you see this played out in the way guys will take advantage or mess with women's emotions. And many t- men do things like uh, do things like that, you know, and they'll set up a date and then they break it on them on purpose and stupid things like that. And I've seen that when I was out in the in the workforce out there, um, and they do these kind of things. Uh, thinking that they're in control of the relationship. Thinking that I, they have the power. And they mess with women's emotions, thinking that they have control of the relationship. But when it comes down to it, the truth is, men sometimes, and I've talked to men and in, in single guys like this in this situation, and I've known guys like this, the, when it comes down to it, they really have a fear of yielding power. They have a fear that of, of a total commitment. They are afraid of letting go and giving totally because they're afraid of getting ripped off. They're going to be dominated by the woman. You know, you've heard all the stupid things. Don't let her, you know, tie you around her finger and all this kind of stuff that's gone on out there. I mean, it's really dumb. And many times, 
they manipulate women thinking that they will retain power and be in total control of the relationship. But it's really an insecurity on the guy's part when it comes down to it. It's a big game that's played. And it's played on women's emotions. So in premarital, I share all this with the potential husband because I'm, I want to see if he realize as you go into this marriage, don't bring in that kind of influence. Are you born again? Don't, don't, don't bring the world in here. Be careful because those kind of things go on. Are you willing to let God let go and let God take over in, the, as in your role as a husband? And I like to present that to them to see if they really realize what they're up against. And, what, and are they willing to do this in the marriage relationship? A believing husband who puts his trust in the Lord does not have to live like that, like what I just described. Because God's ways are not the ways of the world. God uses marriage to purge us if we allow him. He, he, will, he will work in us to do that. If, it's not easy. I'm not here to say it is easy. But he does a work if we let him. A born-again husband does not have to be afraid of letting go and loving his wife with no reservation is what I'm trying to get across. God will go before us, guys. He will honor that kind of sacrifice. And I share with the guys. I said, Jesus taught this important principle. And I like sharing with, with the potential husbands. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said, For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And that's the, I take them to that point of saying, Guys, don't be afraid of letting go and just loving this woman with everything you've got. Let go. Love your future wife as Christ loved the church. He calls a Christian husband to do this. And then I look to the lady and I say, do you agree that a, man, a, a, Christian, a woman can submit to a man who loves his wife in this way? Do you ladies agree? <laughs> I mean, and I see these girls and they're sitting there going, yeah, that's why I want to get married. I want a husband like this. This is what I've been wanting all my life. And that's what, that's what God calls us to be and to live as husbands, guys. This is God's design. This is his command. And he's not going to let you down, guys. And even if your wife does not respond on her part, say you do this. Say you just let go and just love her and just show God's love and, and just go for it. And even if, say she doesn't respond. I truly believe that the Lord will bless you anyway for your obedience in ways that the world cannot know. I truly believe that. He'll bless you. You and him will know that you're doing something for him that he calls you to do. Guys, you must ask the Lord for his love for your wife daily. We need to do that every single day. Put it on your Google calendar. Before your feet touch the ground, 
When you're in bed, say, Lord, help me to love my wife today with your love. Pray for it every day so you can sacrifice for her totally, so you can love her with no reservation, so that you can love her even when she's unlovable. Are you you saying my wife's unlovable? Turn to Colossians 3.19 real quick. Keep your finger there. We're going to come back. But look at Colossians 3.19. As you're turning there, you have Paul... Again, telling husbands to love their wives. He's addressing the Colossian church. But he adds something to this verse here. He says, husbands, love your wives. And then look at what he adds there. He says, and do not be bitter toward them. That's different. What was going on in the Colossian church? But he says, husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. That word bitter there, it means harsh or cruel. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh toward them. Husbands, love your wives and do not be cruel toward them. He's saying, don't let bitterness or resentment spoil your marriage. Why did Paul put this in this verse? I believe there's two reasons. One... And if Gloria were up here, I think she would agree. A wife can sometimes be trying. She, she's imperfect just like I am. If a wife is honest, she would have to admit this. And this is where we need to call upon God's love for patience. To love her when she is unlovable. But also, I believe Paul is telling husbands to not turn sour. Don't get bitter in your own view towards your wife. And I believe a husband can get weird in his own head toward his wife if he's not careful. You know, guys, sometimes, you know, just because we're having a hard day at work or we're going through different things in our own personal, sometimes I think we can end up taking that out on our wives. And I think Paul's telling us, be careful that you don't let that kind of head trip in your own self manifest itself toward your wife. Don't get bitter toward them. Don't get sour toward them. I like the way one, put it, one, one person put it. He said, don't call your wife honey and then act like vinegar. <laughs> don't be harsh. Don't be resentful. Don't abuse her, guys. Don't hold hard feelings against her. Again, all the stuff I just mentioned, God, what he's done for us. The example of Christ. You know, we can't let this happen. And I God, through this verse in Colossians, is telling us that this can be a problem. It's easy for us to become angry with our wives. It's easy for us to turn against them, to take them for granted. It's easy for us to be mean to them. You know, that's kind of the weird thing is that we're nice to everybody else that we see at church and at work and at the market and at the car wash and all that. But the one who's supposed to get the best treatment, sometimes we can take for granted and we treat them and we take it out on them, which it shouldn't be. 
And he's, you know, he's, he's probably, for the most part, talking to Christian wives who love their husbands dearly. And this is something the Lord wants us to take seriously, guys. Again, you got to look to Jesus. He's our example. If he loves us when we were unlovable or when we are unlovable, if he loves us while we were yet sinners, if he loves us sacrificially, if he loves us without no res- without reservation, with no holding back, then he calls a Christian husband to do this for his wife. He's our model. He's our example. And Jesus' love for the church is a unique love. It is a love that sets us apart for him as his bride. And he calls us as husbands to love our wives in this same way. When we set our hearts to marry the woman that we desire to be our wives, we set her apart from all other women. Adam couldn't tell Eve, you know, had other offers. She was the only woman. (laughs) But we chose the woman to be our wives. We desired for her to be our wives, to set her, we set her apart from all other women. And when we sought her to be our lifelong companion, we did this with the goal of making that lady sitting next to you to be your wife. And even though we can love our brethren and our neighbors and we even love our enemies, our love for our wife is to be unique. It is to be special as Jesus' love is, is unique and special to his bride. It is to be a direct reflection that God is doing something that no one else can do in a marriage relationship. When Gloria and I, we go for a walk almost every night in my neighborhood. And we take the dog for a walk. And there are people that wave at us. I have no idea who they are. You know, hey, who is that? I don't know. (laughs) Hey, And, and this happens all the time. I mean, I'm not exaggerating. But I realize that these people are watching us. There are neighbors that see us because we have our routine. And they watch our marriage. I know they do. You know, and I think they see something. I hope they see something that that is unique and, and a special kind of love as we hold hands. And, you know, we're not just holding the dog's hand. You know, we're holding each other's hand. You know, those few arguments we've had where I try and close the garage door so that they don't see. I hope that's far and few between. You know, because they're watching. And they, they need to see that kind of unique love. They're going, wow, what's up with those neighbors? How come they're always happy with each other? How come they're always holding hands? How come they talk <laughs> to each other? It is to be special. It is to be a direct reflection that God is doing something that no one else can do. And it's a witness in and of itself. Paul even says in, in verse 25 there of Ephesians, if you want to go back, that we are to manifest God's love to our wives in the same way we love our bodies. As Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, and as the church is his body in the same way, husbands should love their wives because they are their own bodies. 
We are supposed to be one flesh. He's saying, love your wife as you love your body. But how can we put God's love into action? How do we demonstrate that kind of love, that love for, that we are to display for, to our wife? Turn to Peter, First uh, Peter 3, 7. Peter gives us some great application for us guys. Some great direction that will help us in this. First Peter 3, 7. Peter here in, in verse 7 of, cha- of, of his epistle, uh, chapter 3, he's instructing husbands about the role of leadership within the marriage. And uh, Peter says here in verse 7, chapter 3, he says, Husbands, likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. There's, a, there's just a ton com, compressed into this one verse. One verse. And, and there's six verses before this that uh, deal with the wife's submissive attitude that we're going to look at next month. Um, but there's one verse here, and it's just packed with a bunch of instruction and guidance for men. Um, that's why Peter begins here. He says, Husbands, likewise... But notice, Peter tells the husband, he says, likewise, dwell with them. Dwell with them. It means to have domestic association with your wife. Live together with your wife. Live in a way that there is this intimate cohabitation with them. It speaks of a close union, being closely aligned In other words, not just a visitor, not just being in the garage all the time and she's in the house, but live with them. It implies more than just sharing the same address. It is not having the attitude, well, I come home, don't I? It's not coming home and the first thing that gets more attention uh, than your wife is the TV. Or even the children, for that matter. Even so that, you know, even the children that shouldn't be the reason that the marriage relationship functions. A husband is to dwell, to live with his wife. Close companionship is what is implied. Living with your wife should be your most intense relationship. And I mean that in the sense of being strong, not intention. (laughs) In the same way you have an intense relationship with someone at work or in ministry and you have to get a job done. There is that team effort. Your marriage relationship should be even more strong, more intense in the sense of being strong. Dwelling with your wife does not only speak of your physical presence, but you're, you guys are one. You're, you're, be, you're going, becoming one flesh throughout time and your brains are connected, your hearts are connected, your emotions are connected. And that's what it's about, living, dwelling with them. A wife needs a husband who lives with her in that way. And in such a way that he listens to her. He is a husband who laughs with her. Not laugh at her, but laughs with her. 
He is a husband who helps her share what's going on inside of her. That's a big one. Letting her share her heart. This is a husband's duty. It's being a good manager of your home. And this is the kind of wisdom that that God provides. A wife needs a husband that she can cry on. A wife needs a husband who enjoys her company. A wife needs a husband who will cater to her. In the same effort that we would give to a guest or a brother or sister in the Lord should be directed toward our wife first. When somebody comes over to your house and you offer them a cup of coffee or a glass of water, you're polite at the dinner table, do you do the same for your wife? But the deeper question is, do you do the same for your wife in private when the guests are not around? And some men will cater another man's wife more than they do their own. Our wives need, need us to give them our, our time, our best time, our hearts, and meet their emotional needs. Because if we don't, Satan would love to have somebody fill in that. Notice the word with. He says dwell with there. That also speaks of close companionship with. A husband is to dwell with his wife. That is to be his lifestyle. Notice Peter continues. He says dwell with them with understanding. The word understanding is the Greek word gnosis. It means according to knowledge. But it means to know to learn by experience, take knowledge, take in knowledge of someone. But it's, it's a knowledge that is, it goes beyond just the facts. It speaks of a special relationship between the persons who know and the object of the knowledge. The opposite would be, dwell with your wives according to ignorance. Live with your wife in blindness. It, that's not what it means, it's the opposite of that. It's not what Peter is saying. He says, dwell according to knowledge. One writer summed it up this way. He said, it is amazing that two married people can live together and not know each other. Ignorance is dangerous in any area of life, but it is especially dangerous in marriage. A Christian husband needs to know his wife's moods, feelings, fears, and hopes. He needs to listen with his heart and share meaningful communication with her. Dwelling with your wife with understanding, it covers a wide spectrum, you guys. It includes the deeper knowledge, the wisdom, the insight that God can give. That's, that's, that's amazing when God gives you that towards your wife. But it also in, includes the practical things, practical knowledge. In other words, a husband should know details about his wife. And I'm going to throw out a couple of questions here that I throw out in premarital to the potential husband. Okay? A couple of simple questions. And husbands, I want you to whisper the answer into your wife's ear, okay? Okay? And ladies, if he's right, give him a smile. And if he's wrong, 
pinch his nose, okay? Here we go. What is your wife's shoe size? Go ahead, whisper it in your wife's ear. Smile or pinch on the nose. (laughs) All right. I saw a couple pinches there. How does she take her coffee? Whisper it in her ear. Smile or pinch in the nose. <laughs> what's, her pa- what's her favorite perfume? Don't say high karate, okay? All right, last one. I hope you get this one. What's her favorite ice cream? Whisper it in her ear. Pinch or smile. <laughs> Don't say she likes all of them, okay? And and I throw this out in premarital because I want to see you know, here they are, they have, they want to get married, they've known each other for a length of time. How well do you know, do you even know the practical things about this person you want to marry? Okay? And here we are, you guys have some history under your belts. I don't know how well you did here, it was hard to tell from up here, but you know, okay? And some husbands don't even know the practical things about their wives. That's the point here. Practical things like this. And there's deeper things. Do you know her wishes? Do you know her, and do you know her desires in life as a woman? The things that affect her, the things that she longs for, the, the hurts, the things she's gone through. I ask that to see how well. Do you know what you're going to get married into? Do you know how to, you know, what you're going to be going into and dealing with this lady? And that's important. Living with our wife and with understanding includes learning how to deal with her. Seeking God for insight. He gives you that insight. I'm here to tell you that. And you got to be careful because you can't judge her motives, okay? There's a difference there. But I believe if God gives a husband who seeks him, he gives you that insight to understand your wife, to know her, to, to handle her, to live with her. But you got to be careful because you can, you can get into an argument and say, well, no, I know what you were thinking. I know you were going to do that. We don't know those things sometimes. We may be close. Sometimes we may even get it. But we can't use that as an excuse. So you got to be careful with that. Um, how to approach her. God gives you that insight. When to say something. When not to say something. How to say something without coming across rude or inconsiderate. I used to tell my boys when they were young, be careful, this is your mom's time of month. Be careful, don't get us in trouble here. <laughs> okay, dad. <laughs> you know, because you know? I was learning that, you know, and I can... You need to ask the Lord to give you wisdom on what makes her tick. Not tick her off. (laughs) And I truly believe God gives this kind of insight. He gives this kind of wisdom and understanding to husbands who seek him. That's what he calls us to marriage to, guys. 
It's pretty awesome. But also, God gives us wisdom and insight to recognize her gifts and her abilities and encourage her to utilize them for the benefit of the home and the church. You know, it, it, a Christian husband who, who, who knows his wife and who seeks the Lord and recognizes her talents and ability encourages her to go for it. If she can administrate, if she can be an encourager to other women, if she's a prayer warrior, then encourage her to go for it. Our love for our wife should help them to grow and develop as a woman and help them become more useful and fulfilled followers of Christ. A Christian husband needs to know his wife's moods and her feelings and her needs and her fears and her hopes. A believing husband needs to listen with his heart and share meaningful communication with her. But the most important aspect, you guys, of living with your wife with understanding and living with her in an understanding way, it includes having an understanding of your wife using biblical knowledge. It comes down to your walk. Applying biblical truths, utilizing God's word to conduct your marriage and, your, and, and guide your wife. Not all the junk that's out there in, 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 in society, but God's word comes down to our walk. That's the marriage process. That's what the role of the husband is about. Applying biblical truths to your marriage. It takes being a good manager of your home. 1 Timothy 3.4, speaking of a man who wants to serve in the church. It says, a bishop must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetousness, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? I've always loved, and, and I use Chuck Swindoll's definition on his uh, book, Strike the Original Match. He said, to be a good manager is to perceive all that is going on and knowing all that is going on in your home. That's wisdom. He says, not always doing everything, but having a good pulse on what's going on and utilizing your wife for all that the Lord has gifted her. Sometimes this takes compromising with her instead of demanding from her. She might have a better suggestion. It is not just giving the leadership over to her, but utilizing her talents, her gifts, her suggestions to help you manage. And then you take the lead and make decisions based on perceiving the whole picture. I love that. Having wisdom in your home, knowing what's going on in your home. He says, a spirit-filled Christian wife wants her husband to lead. Not demand or be a dictator, but lead. The place of leadership is a sacred responsibility placed by God himself. And a husband is to exercise his authority for the blessing of the home in the love of Christ. When a man demands submission or anything from his wife, he is not showing the love of Christ in his dealings with her. Jesus is our example. Does Jesus demand we walk with him? No. Instead, he loves us so much we cannot help but desire to walk with him. 
Our Lord would have us to exercise loving leadership, not dictatorial dominion. A husband who makes it his goal to live according to this knowledge will greatly enrich his marriage. I love that, and I've always used that in premarital. Peter goes on to say, notice he says, Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding. And he says, giving honor to the wife. Notice he starts out by saying, uh, giving, giving honor, giving. It means to bestow, to grant, to grant that which is appropriate in a relationship. And it's in the present tense. In other words, he's saying, uh, husband, you should do this continually. Continually give honor and not take liberty with their rights. And the word honor there, grant her honor, give her honor. It's the amount that something is valued. It reflects a manifestation of esteem with the regard with which one is held. And I, I, I like the way uh, Warren Wiersbe spoke of this. He said, Chivalry may be dead, but every husband must be a knight in shining armor who treats his wife like a princess. The husband should treat his wife like an expensive, beautiful, fragile vase in which is a precious treasure. After they get married, a husband forgets to be the kind of gentlemanly, be kind and gentlemanly, and starts taking his wife for granted. He forgets that happiness in a home is made up of many little things, including the small courtesies of life. Big resentments, he says, often grow out of small hurts. Husbands and wives need to be honest with each other, admit hurts, and seek forgiveness and healing. Grant giving honor to the wife does not mean giving in to the wife. A husband can disagree with his wife and still respect and honor her. As the spiritual leader in the home, the husband must sometimes make decisions that are not popular, but he can still act with courtesy and respect. Grant honor means that the husband respects his wife's feelings, thinking, and desires. He may not agree with her ideas, but he respects them. Often God balances a marriage so that the husband needs what the wife has in her personality, and she likewise needs his good qualities. An impulsive husband often has a patient wife, and this helps keep him out of trouble. The husband must be the thermometer in the home, setting the emotional and spiritual temperature. The wife is often the thermostat. Excuse me, he's the thermostat. The wife is often the thermometer, letting him know what that temperature is. Both are necessary. The husband who is sensitive to his wife's feelings will not only make her happy, but will also grow himself and help his children live in a home that honors God. Guys, we are to show that our wives that they are honored by spending time with them, talking with them, praying with them, protecting them, and loving them as Christ loved the church. Notice the word wife. Here in First uh, Peter three seven, giving honor to the wife, it means the feminine one, the womanly female. A woman wants to be a woman. I think the women here want to be a woman. Do you treat her like a lady? Do you treat her as a woman and not as a child? Commanding her as you would command a child. There's a difference. Big difference. 
The word wife, it suggests that Peter is looking to the characteristic nature of womanhood or femininity. And he is seeing in it that it's appropriate for her to receive honor. In other words, it's appropriate that those who are feminine, who hold the role of wifehood, who give characteristic expression to womanhood, are to receive special honor. You see, the Bible, Christianity, exalts women. doesn't put them down. God directs a Christian husband to do this. And then he goes on to say, and he says, Peter goes on to say, he says, as with the weaker vessel. And when Peter calls the wife the weaker vessel, he's not referring to her moral character. He's not referring to her, inter- her intellectual ability or, her, or to her spiritual perception. It doesn't mean that she is inferior, but it gives the meaning that she is delicate and we are to handle her with care. Notice the word vessel. It means container. She is the weaker container is what that means. And if the woman is the weaker vessel, that makes the man what? The weak vessel. We're both weak, you guys. She's just a little weaker. Remember, though, she was taken from the man. So in reality, she's the weakness of man. But what I believe Peter is getting at here is that a wife is in need of of protection as that vessel. She's in, in need of provision. She's in need of strength from her husband. Your wife is not another man. She's a woman. She's distinct. She's unique as God created her. She's precious and priceless. She's God's property. And we need to take care of them because we're going to have to give an account for them one day. Peter continues, he says, as being heirs together of the grace of life. Heirs together speaks of one who participates in the same lot. In other words, you are both partners in receiving God's blessing. You're both valuable in God's sight. Joint heirs, Paul said in Romans 8, in reference to those who have been saved by grace through faith. He said, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Romans 8, 16 and 17. And here in 1 Peter 3, 7, it's referring to marriage. And then notice what Peter declares. A believing husband and wife are both heirs together, he says, of the grace of life. We are both recipients of God's unmerited favor. We are both recipients of God's unearned favor, not for merit that we have performed. We are both recipients of God's grace, the grace of life based on the person of Jesus Christ and what he did for both of us on the cross. So by Peter telling husbands that their wives are joint heirs of the grace of life, he's letting us know, guys, that even though we have been given greater authority in our marriages, Our wives are still equal to us in spiritual privilege and eternal importance. And if our wives have an equal standing in God's kingdom, then they are certainly worthy of equal honor. And they should be given thoughtful, loving attention. We're not the king of the hill, guys. We're not the Burger King. Our wives are not just the little lady, but they are joint heirs in the grace of life.
with us. We are both partners in receiving God's blessing. We are both valuable in His sight. And a person who is under the authority of someone can be made to feel useless and unappreciated if the one with authority is not considerate to the other person's feelings and needs. We need to treat them right. We need to give them first place as our wives, as a joint heir. Simple things, opening the car door for them, letting her enter the room first, walking on the outside so it's, you know, again, when I go for that walk, I try and remember to do that so that she's protected. If a car comes flying at us, I'll take the fall. <laughs> Usually if a bear comes in, we're, the dog's going to get it. You know, I'm going to throw the dog at him. So <laughs> We already agreed on that. But one night we were doing that walk and it was pretty dark and uh, we turned the corner and I saw something in the middle of the street, a huge animal. I go, oh my gosh, that, I don't know that. that. We don't usually see that. And I turned around to tell Gloria and she already had ran around the corner. <laughs> Where? She grabbed the dog and they were gone. I go, what the heck? I guess I'm taking the fall for this one. I thought the dog was supposed to get thrown in there and... She jammed, man. And like, <laughs> but simple gestures like the things I just mentioned, man, they're, they're great witness that you honor your wife. Let her know that she's important to you. We have to be careful in how we relate to our wives. And notice Peter ends verse 7 with a very sobering caution. He says to us husbands, he says that your prayers may not be hindered. Peter, in essence, is saying, do this, husbands. You better do this. Treat your wife, as I have just outlined, really dwelling with them, with understanding as a weaker vessel, as a joint heir of the grace of life. Show godly care towards your wife. Or an open channel to the throne of God will be cut off. Wow. Wow. I don't want my prayers hindered. The word hindered means to cut into, to block one's course by getting, by cutting off his way, to detain, to impede. And Peter, I think, is telling us husbands that our prayers will be detained. They're going to be cut off. They're going to be cut into. They're going to be blocked. They're going to be obstructed if we're not fulfilling our role as godly husbands toward our wives. It's a crazy penalty, you guys. Sometimes we forget that one little line there in the scriptures and we're going, Lord, how come you're not listening? I'm praying to you and this is not being answered. I, you know, I go to church, I'm an usher, I, you know, I tithe, I do this and I do that. And God says, dummy, look at the person right next to you. Are you treating, you haven't been treating her the way you're supposed to. I hate, you know, we forget that sometimes. I mean, it shows that the Lord must be very serious about how we are to treat our wives. You can't ignore the way you treat your wife and get through to, get through to God. The Lord takes the side of the weaker vessel, you guys. Do you realize the deep impact your marriage relationship to your wife has on your spiritual fellowship with God? Psalm 66, 18 says, If I regard inequity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. 
Our fellowship with God cannot be right if our fellowship with our spouse is wrong. But the flip side, the reward is that if we live with our wives with understanding in a considerate way, our prayers will not be hindered but helped. And God will answer them according to his will and his purpose. The result of treating our wife as God instructs us and and enables by his Holy Spirit is a beautiful fellowship with God himself. This should be a very strong motivating factor for all of us husbands. (laughs) Do you love your Lord enough that you do not want anything to hinder your prayers? comes down to our walk, how much you love your Lord. How much we love him and how much we want to obey him. And when God commanded the love-submit relationship between a husband and a wife, he didn't throw us under the same roof to be uh, go into a relationship to be one of control, but a relationship based on love. And a husband who loves his wife as Christ loved the church, a husband who is grateful, a husband who is appreciative and encouraging instead of being critical and even oblivious to his wife. And does not take, and that's the kind of wife that a, a kind of woman a man can, a woman a man, blah, blah, blah. that's the kind of man a woman can submit to. I'm going to end here with something that Harry Ironside, uh, Dr. Harry Ironside was approached by this guy once. And uh, this guy thought that he was real super spiritual. And this guy came to Dr. Ironside and he says, I have a special problem. I love my wife too much. And the guy, he probably thought that Dr. Ironside would commend him for this great dedication to God. But instead, Dr. Ironside, he wisely asked him, he says, do you love her as much as Christ loves the church? And the guy stammered. He said, well, I don't love her that much. And then Dr. Ironside said to him, then go and get on with it because that's the command. Husbands, our our work is cut out for us. But the reward is great. We are to live with our wife. We are to understand them and honor them so that our prayers will not be hindered. Ecclesiastes 9.9 says, Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your fleeting life which he has given to you under the sun. For this is your reward in life and in your toil in which you have labored under the sun. Let's pray. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would help us all husbands now. Help us to be right with our wives, Lord. Help us to see them through your eyes constantly, daily. Father, give us the, the love from above, Lord, that incredible love that you displayed on the cross that you call us to as husbands to do toward our wives, Lord. In this next stage in our marriage, Lord, you know how long we've been married. You know where we're going. You know where we are. Father, and I pray that uh, this would just be a strengthening force, Lord, to take us even stronger in these last days as we await your soon return, Lord. So I pray for every husband here right now, Lord. Father, just, Lord, give us a a revival in our hearts, Lord, to just seek your word, Father, and to apply it, Father, and 
Lord, to see our wives with, with different lenses, Lord. Lord, and it, uh, it would just be a, a unity, Father, and a, a love back and forth, Lord, that only we can point to you for, Lord, and give you the glory. So go before us now, Lord. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.